This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. podcast episode 286 and for this episode uh, we are coming back to a round table style uh this round table is going to be on west coast ipa and joining me for this episode are three of my favorite and your favorite west coast ipa brewers first up joining me is kelsey mcnair co-founder head brewer of north park brewing in san diego california welcome back to the podcast kelsey thanks jamie glad to be here you, you had one of our most popular podcasts of 2021, 2022, and, uh, you know, uh, for obvious reasons. Of course, last time we talked, it was on the heels of your silver and bronze medal wins at GABF in 2021 and Juicy IPA and Imperial IPA. And then not long after that, you follow up with a World Beer Cup gold in Minneapolis for American IPA. And then, of course, last year, GABF, after that, four medals, a gold, a silver, two bronze, all in hoppy categories, New Zealand IPA, Juicy Hazy, American IPA, Imperial IPA, just an insane performance. I mean, there's so easy to win categories uh, of hoppy <laughs> beers at GABF. Uh, obviously, that's dripping with sarcasm right there. And of course, the most important thing, you had a Craft Beer and Brewing 2022 Beer of the Year for your California Pills, Birdie to Bogey, which also scored a 99. Um, but yeah, it's great to have you back. Thank you. Uh, it was truly a pleasure. Glad to be here. And uh, Corson also joining me is Evan Price, co-founder of Green Cheek and Costa Mesa Orange and now Sunset Beach, California. The empire just keeps growing. Evan, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Evan, of course, you're also no stranger to winning in hoppy categories with uh, World Beer Cup gold, two silvers, bronze, 2016, 2018, 2022, GBF gold, silvers, bronze, 2015, 2016, 2018, 2019, and also a craft beer and brewing beer of the year in 2021 for Woo! It Just Works Cold IPA. Welcome back. And then, of course, last joining us at Kelsey and Evan's request is everybody's favorite West Coast IPA brewer, Vinny Chalurzo of Russian River Brewing in Windsor and Santa Rosa. Welcome back to the podcast, Vinny. Thank you. I appreciate it. I was honored when I got the text or call from you that these guys requested me. I'm the uh, old dog here in the, uh, you know, everyone that know anyone that knows me, I'm a Natalie and I are cat people. So I'm the old cat here. <laughs> the old cat. <laughs> well, I left it up to these guys, and uh, when they said they wanted uh, they wanted to invite you, uh, I was like, "Hey, I'll, we'll we'll put the ask out there." And uh, and so now we've got a, a spectrum of uh, of experience, and here in West Coast IPA, of course, Vinny, this is your fourth time joining me on the podcast, and that in fact makes you the most frequent brewer guest, <laughs> putting you one ahead of Neil Fisher. I was going to call you on this because I heard you on. On the not that I'm competitive, but when you had Neil on last, you you gave him kudos of like the most. I'm like, no, actually, I've been on three times because I did get up and go to the bathroom between the two recordings of one and two. That's true. That's true. You were at. The, you're right. You're right. Um, I love I love now, Neil though. So I, I just and Neil's not competitive about this at all. No. Not oh at all. man, he loves every moment of it. 
Uh. <laughs> anyway, you are now clearly number one with uh, with four appearances here. Uh, of course, Russian River has won seven GABF medals in hoppy categories, a uh, whole bunch of World Beer Cup medals, 45 between the two competitions as of last count. And also a Craft Beer and Brewing Beer of the Year in 2019 for Intinction Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. Um, and and yeah, by the way, yeah. in that competitive thing, my, my friend Dave calls me Monopoly Vinny when I get competitive because apparently I got pretty competitive with, with Dave once playing Monopoly years ago. <laughs> oh, I get, I get so competitive with Monopoly. Uh, I think it's maybe because I'm so bad at it, but like um, it's the best game in the world when you're winning. The moment you it starts going downhill, like you can just, it's such a slow burn until you finally lose all your money that like, and you know it's happening it sucks so bad. Like, uh, I, I just want to throw throw in the towel earlier on. Vinny won the freshness battle for this one. We're all drinking one day old blind pig right now, um, and he beat you with the three day old uh, El Dorado from Green Cheek that uh, that I have up next to drink here, um, because that's that's just how Russian River rolls. Um, it was I, the first beer I opened though was the El Dorado because I was rocking a CLS hat today when I was brewing, oh, and that's uh, awesome. so it was just like good karma with with CLS and uh, and and whatnot and. Uh, you know, I love love seeing all the hop our hop friends from the northwest and elsewhere. So uh it just it was appropriate. Yeah, that's uh and that is CLS um Eldorado right there. Um that we used in that beer. Um that I I feel like I've had I haven't had great Eldorado in the past. Um my friend Alex uh, has been working with um, CLS for the last year or so, and she um, did the hop selection for me on some Eldorado because um, when I couldn't make it up this year, I've been doing this like funny little wine project during the um, hop harvest season. So trying to work that out has been difficult. But um, anyway, this was the, the that the Eldorado that we've been getting from CLS is finally like this like super fresh like watermelon juice character that um kelsey actually pointed out to me over the weekend uh when we were hanging out where he i was like man there's this melon character it's not quite cantaloupe um it's not it's not like say cucumber uh it's um and then he's like it's watermelon and i'm like oh but it's not that jolly rancher watermelon because i think that 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 character drives me up a wall like i'm not i'm not i don't want that uh, like fake watermelon character, but anyway, um, I'm tangenting way too hard here. You're tangenting too soon, Evan. Uh, but of course, you talking about it has made me want to pour some for myself, and so now I've got a second glass just well, of, uh, of El Dorado day right here. Your day one uh, blind pig first, you know this. Um, Fantastic, man, it, yeah. For this panel, of course, beer. we're going to we're going to explore the uh, minutia of West Coast IPA from malt to hops to water and fermentation and look at the way uh, all three of you guys approach this kind of innovation and moving it forward. First, GD Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years as GD Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. Want to maximize efficiency in your chiller? GD's micro-channel condensers are designed for less power draw with a lighter weight and a more compact design that uses up to 70% less refrigerant 
for a lower GWP and lower operating costs. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or give them a call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is sponsored by BSG, distributors of TNS Hop Oils, a revolutionary hop product that gives your beer all the hop intensity with none of the astringency. Make better beer and get more from each turn with less work. Change your brewing game with TNS Hop Oils. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how. Um, you know, I think I want to kick this off. Uh, oh, you've got some hop oils right there, Evan, do you? <laughs> I mean, I just got the sample pack. I, I haven't tested them out yet, but uh, yeah, you were doing the ad, and I'm like, oh, I actually am planning on doing this tomorrow, um, is checking these things out, because I'm, um, I don't know. Well, once you come up with some results, please share with the rest of us, because... Uh, because I'd love to know, you know, what your experience looks like with those. Um, let's maybe kick it off with the first question. Let's talk about malt. You know, uh, this past year, and I was talking to Zach from Slice, Evan, he mentioned that he one of the tricks he picked up from you is varying base malt based on hop selection. I notice as I look at uh, Blind Pig now that it is um, certainly lighter than the inaugural ale Blind Pig uh, that uh, that you rebrewed, you know, last year or a couple years ago. Um you know, this, there's been an evolution in this world of malt when it comes to West Coast IPA um, of pushing in a lot of ways paler and paler, but at the same time also trying to find flavor that can support those hop characters. I don't know who wants to take it first, but let's, you know, let's try to kick this off, uh, you know, and talk about approach to, to malt. Maybe Kelsey, why don't, you, why don't you start us off? As you are thinking about West Coast IPA, um, you know, you know, how do you start thinking about malt base for you know that's going to provide the canvas for this kind of hop character um i mean for us you know it's a a big sort of evolution of uh the approach to the style and you know similarly to you know how blind pig is as uh you know appears lighter than it once did um you know when when we first opened the brewery we were using a you know heavy hand of you know two row base uh you know we used a lot of rar um, and, uh, maybe a dash of, you know, like C40 or something like that. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I mentioned this when did the podcast last time, uh, really took a look at our approach to the platform we were building for hazy IPA, um, as a way to kind of remove a lot of the malt flavor and try and lift hops and really just express <clears throat> that. And so, you know, things got worked out of the recipes and, and ratios. And then eventually we just leaned on a very pale Pilsner malt um, as a basis and really just kept any of the specialty malts out and the results speak for themselves. I mean, you know, uh, we really want to put the hop first. And so the malt should just kind of stand in the background and be enough to lift. And so, you know, uh, we'll use any of these lower colored Pilsner, Pilsner malts, but the one that we tend to come back to the most is uh, Vireman. Uh, Extra Pale Pilsner malt is my favorite. Um, we've used Gambrinus. Uh, we've used, um, you know, the uh, RAR, uh, what is it, the North Star a little North bit. Star. Um, yeah, but uh, the one that, you know, tends to make its way into the most of our recipes is, uh, is the Extra Pale from Vireman. My favorite. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the extract on that malt is always seemingly better for our brewery than almost any other malt. We just made a recipe where 
we switched it out for um, the Vireman Extra Pale, and um, I don't know. We ended up with, uh, I mean, we have a 25-barrel uh, runoff uh, here at our Orange Brewery, and I think we had like 28 barrels with the same amount of malt that we normally get with uh, 25 barrels. And so, um, I mean, uh, the friability, I feel like, on that malt is always really nice where there's a good crack to it, um, and I feel like that's part probably part of it because we have a you know we have a shitty mill because we're a uh we're a small craft brewery and so um just a two roll <laughs> two roll mill and so uh which is embarrassing to still say um we haven't uh, done anything there but um yeah i feel like i echo a lot with uh what kelsey's saying as well um i i was originally inspired by english beer when i started making ipa um and let's see i mean for me like i'm 18 19 years into into this um professionally and um the first ipa that i put together um was maris otter with c60 um and i got really excited about these English roots to IPA, you know, I really wanted that, you know, um, you gotta have the, like, uh, the, 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 the line was always like, yeah, you really gotta have, you gotta support those hops with that malt, you know? Um, and so once I finally was in uh, a creative role, uh, again, uh, when I started at Noble in 2012, I went back to that and, started making IPAs with Maris Otter and a little bit of, and some C60. And I just found myself uh, continuing to bring down the amount of caramel malt. And every time I did it, I liked the beer more. Uh, it tastes fresher. You know, it felt like it like taste oxidized, like straight out of the tank with uh, the caramel malt and everything in it. And so um, at least for me, I, I just continue to, pull out the C60 and then at a certain point, like switched out the Maris Otter for um, like Golden Promise. And then at, a, at another point it was just like, all right, well, that was a cool switch. Let's, let's try two row. And then, and then at a certain point it was Pilsner Malt. And um, at this point for at least Green Cheek, I mean, Pilsner Malt is, um, you know, a variety of different Pilsner Malts are uh, what we use um, at a, near hundred percent uh the majority of the time i was going through recipes like uh to prepare for this um and every once in a while we'll throw in some a small amount of dextrin malt um but i couldn't tell you that i actually am able to pick up the difference um like you know personally like we will see similar attenuation um and uh whether we add a bag of dextrin malt to this uh, mash bill or not. Um, and so the majority of the time we just don't use anything at all. And, um, I think the, the malt that, uh, I, I mean, for me, the malt is the thing that just provides the sugar, uh, for the fermentation and I don't want it to get in the way. Um, and so I don't want anything too flavorful is, is kind of just the way that it goes. What about you, Vinny? I like, I would love to like, well, I want to hear about like, like, you know, with Vinny being, uh, in this game longer than we have, like with, especially like we just talked about the, or we mentioned the evolution of say blind pig, like 
Um, how did how did this go for you, Vinny? I guess I should open a blind pig with my blind pig brewing company opener from Temecula that says swig a pig on it. Yeah. <laughs> Going old school. So <laughs> yeah, that, you know, um, it was actually cool that uh, you guys went first. Cause as you guys were talking, I went and pulled up a blind pig recipe. I'm connected to our server uh, from home here and we were using 3% Crystal 40 back in 2008. I pulled a recipe from Ferdinand Court, our old production brewery. So, um, so yeah, now there's, there's no crystal malt in, in Blind Pig or Pliny for that matter. One of the, one of the things that, that we did was, um, you know, we have certain IPAs where we're going for a lighter body and everything you guys just said that I don't need to rehash. But when you have brands like Blind Pig and Pliny that, have pretty like fanatical followings been around for a long time like really slow to make changes and whatnot um and so when we made those changes over time so our 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 silo malt is still a two-row malt but it's um it's rar's uh, craft uh blend so it's a, it's different so it's, it's just a little bit darker um but it pretty much allows us to just use that and 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 nothing else um one of the things i I like about it too is it's a very strategic uh, blend of of i think it's i i think it's a copeland and synergy um like a very focused blend of of barley varieties that um you know it's still we still end up with a high fan content in the end which in the end equals oxidation. Um, and that's something that never gets talked about with, with IPAs is just the huge malt bills that were, you know, to get seven, 8% alcohol. Like I'm, I'm now drinking hop foo, which when I opened it, Kelsey was like, Oh my God, it made the whole room smell. It was really amazing. <laughs> uh, beautiful aroma. Um, but like when you look at a, a, uh, a malt COA, those are based on, I believe it's eight Plato wort. And if your um, IPA or whatever beer is 16 Plato, you need to double all those numbers. So that fan number is much higher. And so when we look at our malt blend, that is one thing we're looking at. It's actually one of the cool things about cold IPA is that you're reducing your fan levels by using rice, albeit you're making the beer lighter, but you should end up with a more shelf-stable beer. Um, but anyways, so over the years, you know, we've, we've switched to this slightly higher color, but it allows us to still have fullness and, you know, blind pigs only six and a quarter percent alcohol. So it's, it's, it's somewhat low alcohol compared to, you know, seven and a half, eight percent beers. Um, I don't know, Evan, what's the alcohol on the Eldorado beer we're drinking? Um, seven, you, you're two. looking, you should know this 7.2. Well, uh, I got it before well, you did. Just... So, but yeah, so six and a quarter still is, is still much lighter. Um, so we are actually using a little bit of Simpson best pale in, in the beer, but that's not near as full and rich as Maris Otter. And it doesn't have that over the top biscuit bready note to it. And, and I, yeah, and yeah. it's one of my favorite, uh, malts, best pale. So, so we've kind of evolved from two row crystal to this slightly higher color, uh, craft blend that RAR makes. Um, but Pliny is all, uh, 
the craft blend two row, whatever RAR calls it, with five or six percent dextrose sugar. So super simple. So again, there. But but even so, that transition we transitioned from uh, Crystal Forty to a Munich Thirty. We we made the change very very slow um, with the idea to lighten the the bot the color and body and and whatnot, but also um, you know thinking about our customer that yeah, not probably drinks them. more Pliny than we do, you know, at, yeah. at the brewery. And I, I drink every batch of Pliny we make. Um, but, and, and that was something with, with Pliny that we were very, very conscious of was, was that the customer and what their expectations is. And, you know, I, it, it's come up a lot lately on the podcast here with Jamie is changing, you know, changing of recipes and whatnot. And like, we we're constantly making changes to our recipes uh, maybe about eight months ago at our weekly friday manager meeting natalie dropped on the manager team hey um i want everyone to say something that they like or about working at russian river or unique when it got to our our then production manager he said you know what i like is that we don't rest on our laurels and that like Vinny, and, and, he, and he went on to say like when my friends asked what it's like to work at russian river Aside from that, Vinny is very demanding. Um, <laughs> it was that is that like we're always changing our recipes. We're making tweaks. As it goes, you'd be shocked how many how much we're making tweaks. And so we've this has always been in our DNA. Um, but but one thing I I do think about as we've lightened the malt up on on these beers is I look at a correlation that we've actually. Also, we're using more calcium chloride to add a little bit more body and mouthfeel. Yep. That when I looked back at that blind pig and I, I pulled up a Pliny recipe back, this is from 2008 from Ferdinand Court, our old production brewery. We weren't using calcium chloride back then in pig and Pliny, but we do now. And so to add some fullness, but it's, it's a different kind of fullness from water chemistry as opposed to malt. Yep. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're in the same boat as well where, I mean, I think, you know, the, the plaster character of gypsum is not the most pleasant. Um, you know, I, uh, we use, we use chloride and sulfate in our, uh, you know, all Pilsner malt, um, IPAs, but, um, but I think that, but I think it's the chloride that, um, helps fill out the beer, um, and instead of using caramel malt, um, you know, a small understanding of water chemistry can get you there instead of, um, yeah, that extra body and weight from that caramel malt. This kind of goes back to some of the internal emails we had before we started, you know, well, a couple of days ago when we started talking about this podcast. It was like, what can you learn from hazy beer? Where sometimes hazies have taken chloride to like too far. So, you know, and, and, and another thing when I look at the, like when I pulled up these old recipes on the other screen was like there, our beers are drier too, which also means we're starting with a lower OG or original Plato, however you want to read it. Um, but you know, one, one thing that we're, we are messing around with, I, I was, as I was thinking about this podcast and some things that like nuanced approaches to making IPA that, you know, maybe aren't hop related and that is liquor to grist ratio. And it's such a, an 
underutilized, overlooked. Um, I think were we talking about this, Evan? Maybe yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. six so, or eight months ago. Well, and, so I have to admit something embarrassing about this story that I think is so funny is that I learned liquor to grain ratio backwards, and it wasn't to where um, the uh, you know. Um, the less water you use in that, um, uh, that liquor to grain ratio, um, the drier the beers, or I thought the drier the beer was going to be and the more water you use, I thought, right. you know, the, the more residual sweetness or sugar you're going to left over with. And, uh, and when we started talking about this, you were like talking about it being an interview question. And I'm like, Oh, well, yeah, I mean, of course it's this. And you're like, well, <laughs> and you weren't, uh, you were really nice about it. But you like, you know, uh, like you expect, Vinny corrected me on this whole thing. But it was so funny that like I had been <laughs> I'd been going the wrong way for so long and never talked to anybody about it. And then you corrected me and I was like, ah. And so um, I absolutely ended up changing liquor to grain ratio on some um, on different beers, especially like our Hellas and have ended up getting the attenuation that I had been wanting. And it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's another, um, another of the million things that I could admit that, uh, I've been, I've learned from Vinny. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a really cool tool in a brewer's toolkit that we all often overlook that a thinner mash, some more water to grain will give you a drier beer. And, and, you know, I, I, I hear from brewers often like, Oh, I just want to get my beer drier to have that kind of modern IPA quality, or it can work for any beer. And, and it's just, it's so overlooked, but it's such a simple little tool and, and having that plugged into your brew log, spreadsheet whatever it is you use as a formula is is really it's a powerful tool i think especially in this day and age of quite dry ipa well i mean and on top of that like i think you know when we're we're looking at hop creep uh as an example like if i can get the beer drier um before i'm adding hops then i'm not going to potentially creep so much because there's not as much um residual sweetness there for for that creep to go through and so i think that that ends up being another thing to check off the list that just helps um lengthen that or shorten that time kelsey uh, we didn't talk to you about your uh, uh water chemistry to to kind of grain body approach yeah um i've progressively over the last few years uh really leaned into a very soft water approach the most of the beers we make um and you know uh chloride's always been a piece of the the puzzle i mean uh, just for context uh the water in san diego um is uh very inconsistent uh we get our water brought in from a number of different sources and our effluent changes uh you know week to week um and your bicarbonate level can double you know, um, your calcium levels can, can be just all over the place. And so out of the gate, I made the decision that we were going to build water from RO. Um, and so we start with, you know, nothing, and then we're taking it, you know, to wherever we need to get it, uh, which is not the stout podcast, but boy, is it suck to make stout water with, uh, RO. Um, 
But uh, yeah, kind of where we True. landed with West Coast IPA um, is, you know, keeping it really soft. Uh, our sulfate to chloride ratio um, that we're working with now is two to one. Um, but, you know, we're our total calcium um, is around 50. Um, and so, you know, total, uh, you know, PPM is, is really low. Um, we're talking like 100 sulfate, 50 chloride. And, uh, I, you know, I just, I really like soft water beer. I mean, it, it just drinks really crisp and clean. Um, especially when you're working with, uh, these really low colored malts, um, you know, uh, just enough sulfate to kind of kick up that, you know, expression of bitterness, uh, keep it sharp. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I know there's a lot of, uh, brewers, you know, moving, um, in the direction of, uh, really dry, um, as we're talking about just now. And I actually like my West coast IPA finish around, you know, two and a half Plato. Um, I, I like a little bit more body to it, um, personally. And, within the absence of a lot of malt flavor, you know, I, I really want there to be some substance behind it, but it's not necessarily like a malt richness. It's just, there's some fullness, uh, that isn't necessarily sweet, but it's just enough to kind of like carry through that expression of, you know, bitter hops and, um, you know, what we've worked so hard to retain between, uh, you know, late hopping in the kettle and, you know, uh, for us, a very heavy dry hop. Um, you know, uh, we haven't talked about dry hops yet, but I mean, we're generally in the four to five pounds per barrel in a dry hop for any given West coast IPA. That's you can't skip ahead, Kelsey. You can't skip ahead. <laughs> this is all, this is all on the roadmap. Let's talk a little bit more about this before we do that. AccuBrew is a game-changing fermentation monitoring system that gives you unprecedented insight into your yeast's health and activity. The AccuBrew sensor mounted through your tank sample port creates a record of sugar conversion, clarity, and temperature for every batch run. Step into the modern era of brewing and get your hands on a system that can help deliver your best brew every batch. Like to improve? So does AccuBrew. Something big is coming. Find out more at AccuBrew.io. Also at ProBrew, they believe you your brewery deserves equipment as unique as the drinks that you craft. That's why their solutions are specifically designed to help brew your beer, not someone else's. From brewing to fermenting to carbonating and can filling, ProBrew's customizable equipment empowers breweries to expand operations at their own pace. For more information, visit www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew brew your beer. And is your brewery making its own ciders, seltzers, and other beverages beyond beer? If you need a central source for fruit flavor, Old Orchard has you covered. Old Orchard supplies flavored craft juice concentrate blends to beverage brands for the production of beer, cider, seltzer, wine, spirits, kombucha, and more. Flavor your lineup and streamline your sourcing by heading to oldorchard.com slash 
Brewer. I swear, Kelsey, we'll talk about dry hopping, but uh, you know, I th- you just have to pace these things out. I know our listeners. We're gonna make we're gonna make them hang on to the very end to talk about hops because you know that's just how we we roll with. All I this. hope you but edit talk- that out. Like edit out what he says. I want you to bleep it. You know, like <laughs> oh, I do. Beep, yes, beep pounds per barrel dry hop. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you you got to you got to keep giving some to listen for. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about that finishing gravity, you know, because that is an, an interesting piece of all of this and the way that that all of these things express. We we've, we've heard Kelsey's take. Uh, Evan, uh, where do you like for these West Coast IPAs to finish? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's another piece of the puzzle to the overall scope of the beer that you're making, right? So. Um, I, you know, I mean, uh, to answer your question directly, like we're in the 1.5 to 1.8 Play-Doh range, typically for most West Coasts. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, we're finding, we're finding balance in a better spot these days just by bringing down a little bit more of the bitterness um, on the front end. Um, historically, Oh, wait, I was about to talk about hops. Sorry, I don't want to talk about hops yet. Um, but all in all, I think that um, I like a really dry beer. I like it to be Pilsner-like. Um, and that, I think, is where, like, I don't know, it's this super fresh, yummy, um, hop-saturated Imperial Pilsner is kind of like, you know, California IPA to me, you know, and so I think that um, having that is having that low finishing gravity is what I'm personally after. Um, that sweet mid palate thing that um, Kelsey has in his beers, uh, which I I think even calling it a sweet mid palate is is aggressive uh, to to call it that, but there's um, but there's this really nice roundness to Kelsey's beers. I'm doing a side by side right now. And, um, the beer that, uh, you all are drinking is, is an example of something that is very low in bitterness for what we typically do. Um, just as a, um, a reference point. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I, I mean, Kelsey, you have a fucking seven and a half percent West coast here. Like, you're you're about to jump into uh like double IPA here. I mean, Pliny is eight percent, um, and so well, and it, so, it, it was always designed to be the in between. I love it. As it was, and always, yeah, as I built the recipe, it was supposed to be right on the line. Like, you know, it was a homebrew recipe eight. that was supposed to fall into both American IPA and Imperial IPA, and I would literally enter it into both. At the same competition, and it wasn't unusual that it would medal first and second, which is ridiculous. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, Secrets. Man. Humble brag. Humble brag. Yeah. I don't do that commercially, FYI. <laughs> Not allowed. No. Man, I love that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, my answer. How about you, Vinny? Where's that? Where's that finishing gravity? I'm, How do I'm you think actually that, with, that with Kelsey. I'm, to, you know, like I often find that, um, and and our team, when they listen to this, they'll know exactly what I'm about to say. That when our beers get too dry, 
I actually, I'm saying like, we need to get this back to like 2.5, 2.6. Um, that's anything over 2.6 is getting a little too sweet uh, under 2.5. And now we are losing body and, and, and mouthfeel. And I totally agree with, with what Kelsey said. So that's our, that's our sweet spot there. I don't need to drag through this anymore. Just, just, and that's, that's, that's my belief. And it's always been there. And I, I love that little bit of body and mouthfeel, but not anything more than that. Yeah. I, I learned that from you, Vinny, like seriously, <laughs> uh, all, all of your, uh, all the stuff you shared over the years, I, I, I kind of really honed in on, on one of, you know, one of many details, but that was one of them that I always felt that the balance uh, and the finish of, of your IPAs was uh, something that was uh, an outlier um, to what, you know, really made the Russian River IPAs kind of, I don't know, stand out in a big way to me. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Those are hum- very, I'm humbled to hear that. And you, you sent a very kind email the other day that um, was made me blush, that's for sure. So and, uh, He's so good at is, that. He's so good at that, yeah. Kelsey. <laughs> well let's let's say uh I, I love this mutual love fest right here and uh, I'm, I'm excited where this is going um let's talk a little bit about fermentation on this uh you know in in broader sense around west coast ipa uh over the last few years we've watched you know every assumption that you could make about fermentation you know just you know get completely blown apart you know we've now got folks like bob coons you know in highland park you know making uh west coast ipas with lager yeast of course you've got cold ipa which is a little bit of a different approach you know similar but different um you know you've got now we've got a whole brand new crop of uh, thiol-focused, um, special, you know, specially bred yeasts that will drive a you know specific characters. Um, you know, where even things like you know your classic kind of Chico Cali Ale yeast um, can produce different kind of uh, you know flavor approaches. Let's kind of let's kind of look at this in a broad sense. Um, you know, and I, I imagine there's not necessarily just one single approach that you're taking but all of you being experimental are kind of you know playing in these fields you have some things you go back to but you're also doing some experimentation with some of these things as they're evolving um let's talk about that and why don't you kick off the conversation kelsey experimentation is uh something it's just core to what we do right i mean um i i'm i'm of a you know, of the belief that, uh, you know, a recipe is never done. Um, you know, we, we keep iterating and, and trying new stuff. And so, you know, we're, as far as yeast goes, uh, you know, I was, it was really like setting into the pandemic uh, conditions. And when we got on this sort of like schedule of trying to, uh, get our tank time styled in, you know, we were using a lot of ALDC, um, to try and, uh, you know, combat the effects of hop creep, um, you know, in packaged beer, uh, but also, um, to, uh, you know, just kind of keep our tank times on a reliable schedule. And, uh, you know, when saw that Berkeley had, uh, you know, diacetyl free Chico, um, cause ALDC is a very expensive product. 
Uh, and, uh, I was so stoked to see, you know, that that was, uh, something that we could experiment with and, um, you know, uh, using that yeast, which has become our house yeast for, uh, West coast beer, um, you know, reliably, uh, we're, we're getting the tank times that we want. Um, you know, if there is any pop creep to be had, we're not having any downstream issues, uh, where we've got a packaged beer that suddenly, you know, has a problem. Um, whereas even before, uh, it's, it's really peculiar. Um, we've had mosaic beers that would end up in a serving tank and they would be great. Um, and somewhere, you know, three, three weeks, uh, post transfer, maybe even two weeks post transfer. It's like, how does this have the diacetyl now? Um, yeah. and for some reason it seemed very isolated to that hop and I can't explain it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean like that, that was a really cool evolution in, uh, what we could use as a tool, uh, to, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, make, make our, our whole schedule function in a way that it never did before. Um, like it's, it just makes a reliable, uh, fermentation process for us. Um, and I've really loved using it. Uh, and you haven't seen any impact in terms of generations and, uh, you know, function attenuation or anything else there? Um, I did notice that that particular strain and I, you know, I don't know how they propped it up, you know, for their, uh, whatever they're propping up from their mother strain. Um, it does tend to attenuate slightly less, uh, than we were seeing with like a BSI Chico or, um, some other yeast labs, uh, you know, um, white labs or, or otherwise. Uh, but you know, we can, we can deal with attenuation issues in other ways, you know, um, we can adjust our mash temp, uh, we can, you know, do other steps, uh, thinning out our mash, what, whatever we, we need to do to, um, to make that work. Um, and so, you know, those adjustments are just things that we would have to do anyway. Um, but I've, yeah, I, I think in, as an innovation, uh, it's been great. How about you, Evan? Um, yeah, I, uh, we actually haven't played around too much in the yeast side of things for a long time. Um, for me, I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for yeast character. Um, we, I mean, we have absolutely experimented with the diacetyl free Chico. Um, and I don't know what, uh, if I was off that day or, whatever the situation was, but, um, I, I felt like our results weren't as perfect as I wanted them to be. Um, and so we're still on the like ALDC and, um, yeast train. Um, and that's something that I'm, uh, that's still been very foolproof for us. Um, we, we use USO five, um, or, you know, California ale yeast, um, uh, for all of these fermentations of IPA and I just don't, yeah, I just don't want any yeast character. And so I think that, um, something that's very neutral, um, it's like the same, it's the same thing with the malt, right? Where it's like, I don't want the malt to get in the way. I don't want the yeast to get in the way. I don't want anything to get in the way except for the hops. I want the hops to be very much in the way. And so that's like, that's the thing that, um, uh, I, I, I think that all three of us or all four of us are very excited about whenever we're drinking good West Coast IPA um, is that hop expression. And so whatever I can do for not 
anything for anything not to get in the way the better off i am how's that fermentation going for you Vinny? i know on your side you are now blending and mixing even with open fermentation um and getting some interesting results even within your all you know across the hoppy beer portfolio but uh you know talk to talk to us about your uh, your approach to fermentation there I say this with a facetious tongue, but I think uh, hop creep was invented and developed by those that make ALDC. <laughs> <laughs> They're making it's bank on hop yeah. creep. Like before hop creep, no one used ALDC, maybe some big industrial brewers. Now it's like, you know, during the pandemic, because I think most of it comes from overseas, we were like stocking extra just as like, ah, just in case, you know, supply yep. chain, let's not get, let's not get tripped up. So, um, I, again, I, I say that with, with a little sarcasm, but, um, yeah. Are they in I, it with the, uh, with the hop growers and their, their kilning temps and all of those other things? Yeah, but that's all just that, some giant you, conspiracy. You, you have to blame the hop quality group for that, which I was a founding <laughs> member of. You know, because we were the ones that asked for lower kiln temperatures, and and we got it. And then, like, and now, surprisingly, you made strategic investments in ALDC makers uh, <laughs> yeah. ten years ago. Yeah, and are now cashing in. Exactly. Cashing in. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now you know. Hashtag um, beer conspiracy. One of the things that um, we did over the years was. We lowered our knockout temperature and and maybe our fermentation temperature was set. Like it used to be, it used to be just knockout at sixty eight and ferment at sixty eight with with right. Chico and Fahrenheit. And now and then it became sixty four knockout, sixty eight fermentation temperature. And we've been we've been whittling that down. And I think we're at like sixty four, sixty six now. And in the pilot brewery. Um, yes. I'm mostly knocking out at 60 fermenting at 62 again. Like I think I mentioned it earlier, like we make very slow calculated changes to our process because a brand like Pliny that is, is pretty iconic and, and yep. our consumers drink way more of it than, than I do at home. Um, you know, like, uh, 8% alcohol beer, it's not what you can just drink every night with dinner. So, um, so, so from a fermentation temperature standpoint, we are a little bit lower, uh, a little bit cleaner, less ester profile, as Evan said, just kind of let the, the hops just kind of blast through, um, from an, from a open top standpoint, um, you know, we have certain brands that we only ferment in open tops, lagers, Belgians, those sort of things. But uh, surprisingly, we ferment a lot of ale, of IPA in open tops. And one of the things we see is a much uh, lower pH um, and we see much better yeast health, which is kind of typical for open top fermentation. But it carries through. So we'll, we'll often blend like 20% uh, open top beer into what we, we call closed top fermenters, basically beer wort that's fermented in CCT. But we'll see that yeast health carry through with an open top fermentation. And like for, for home brewers that are listening to this, you can mimic an open top, for, open top fermentation by just like, I'm just going to use a carboy. I don't know if anyone ferments in carboys anymore, but let's say you're, you're an old school home brewer and you are making five barrels, you, you know, uh, knock out five barrels of cold wort instead of just putting five gallons, five gallons, sorry, barrels. I, you're, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking professional brewer, five gallons of, of wort. 
you can split that over like two carboys and you're pretty much mimicking an open top fermentation, but you'll get a much more dramatic pH drop in the end. Our pH is like 0.1 lower. Um, and that all trickles down into dry hopping, you know, as, and we've started to talk about hop creep here. If you are experiencing hop creep, one of the worst things you can have is a high pH at the start of your dry hop process because you don't get as much of a um, reduction in VDK or diacetyl with a higher pH. So you want to start lower. What would you consider a high pH versus a low pH in this example? We, um, so we start thinking about this at knockout. So we'll um, be at 5.1 is what we want to be. 5 to 5.1 is our pH going into the fermenter. Um, we'll make additions if we have to. And then maybe we see, you know, whatever happens in the fermenter, you should see a, a decrease. And an open top fermenter, we'll see more of a drop in pH than we do in a closed top fermenter. Yeast is healthier. Everything's just in a, a, a better environment. Um, but then when we get to dry hopping, if we are over, I think our number is 5.3, will make a pH adjustment at dry hopping as well. At, so when we're adding the dry hops to the top of the fermenter, we'll maybe add a little food-grade phosphoric acid. And, and to me, food-grade lactic acid is a little obvious and it's, it's a little fake, if you will, whereas phosphoric, they'll tell you, is a little more coarse, but I think that goes nicely in an IPA. So sometimes we'll actually make... You mean four three, not five three, right in the fermenter? Four three, sorry, my sorry, bad. Yeah, just... you guys all have to correct me. So, um, <laughs> and because because the thing is, is that four six is food safety, or four five five somewhere in there. Four five four six is food safety. So you know that's that's something where the beer industry needs to um, probably be a little more focused on that. You know, the FDA does technically have jurisdiction over us. And if, if we have beer over 4.6 and this continue, and there's a lot of breweries who are serving beer over 4.6, that's technically food that's unsafe. And so I think it's something we should be um, focused on. But so we'll, we'll maybe like 4.3 is our, is sort of our, our number where if it's above, maybe we'll make a, an adjustment with food grade phosphoric. Um, but we have this unique system at our Windsor facility with our big brewery in that we built in on the back of the cones of all the tanks. We have a two inch uh, port that we have a portable tank mixer that we can move from tank to tank. So it's really easy for us to add, say, phosphoric acid. Let's say we're at four or five pH and we want to get to four three knowing that dry hopping is going to increase the pH. Yep. Another interview question when you sometimes I, I, yes. That one. <laughs> um it is that and so we can lower the pH from say four or five to four three for example and then we dry hop and then the dry hop takes it back up to four or five but we're still in a good spot. And because uh, it because the beers get really flabby if they're over to me personally, if they're over four six and um, but it but it can all start at knockout when you're, you know, in your whirlpool and maybe you, you start making additions there.
Let's talk more about this. But first, uh, from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brew House to the integrated hotbacks on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brew houses and the five-barrel pilot system at Russian River that Vinny told us he brewed on just about weekly for the past year. SS Brewtech has taken technology they invented working with world-renowned industry veterans and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, have you heard of Christian Hansen? They're the fermentation experts with over 100 years' experience in dairy and wine. They are now bringing that knowledge of microbes to brewers with their SmartBev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria. This portfolio allows for consistent performance at the brewery and produces a range of high-quality brews. Reimagine what your beer can be. Go to chr-hansen.com to learn more about the SmartBev line of products. Um, yeah, let's keep that conversation going about pH. Uh, you know, Evan and Kelsey, uh, where, do, where do you guys lie on that? You know, the knockout pH... Um Somewhere I settled in on like five one five. Um, I, you know, it, it we're sometimes it's five one, sometimes it's five one five, but it's like right in that pocket. Um, yeah, I've never done any uh, post uh, fermentation or or during or pre dry hop uh, pH adjustments, and you know, um, the food safety consideration thing has me kind of like. A little worried. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I, I mean, but it, I, you know, just looking through some of our logs here, uh, it's not unusual for our West Coast IPAs to end up in like you know four six five to four seven, um, and I'd say that's you know fairly typical. Uh, so maybe we're on the higher end um, of what you know where we should be. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's usually our dry hop pH, we dry hop ends up being like 4.4 ish. Um, so yeah, the paper shuffling in the background is Evan looking through brew logs, <laughs> looking at Evan's the pH nerv- numbers, nervously checking to see where he is. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, for all of us, it's the angel devil and we all have John Mallet on one of our shoulders going like oh food God. safety. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's so good. Yeah, but we're in like that seven and a half percent ABV environment. So, you know, what's going to what are we worried about, really? (laughs) You know, one one interesting thing when you Jamie, when you talk about pH that I think is another like cool tool in the brewer's toolkit is your kettle pH. And it's kind of it's kind of going backwards because we're working through the process. But like. You know, if if you lower your pH in your in the kettle to say to to closer to what we're talking about here, so your whole boil is is at this number, you're also like getting less utilization and it's less bitter. And whereas a higher pH, let's say you're at, I'm just going to throw out five five in in the kettle compared to five or five one like you're you are going to get more utilization out of more isomerization out of those hops so you do end up with a more bitter beer so you know i i think in general like ph is something that for all styles is something that really needs to be remembered and focused on and and like yeah and don't forget to like you know calibrate your 
pH meters. Those things get out of calibration in a blink. Now, yeah. You know, we, we calibrate I, our pH meters every day. So and even on the pilot brewery at Santa Rosa, Windsor, that's a, that's a thing we do every morning if we're brewing is we, we recalibrate those, those, those handheld pH meters. We're a little looser. We're once a week, but I, uh, uh, I totally echo what you're saying, Vinny, uh, with in regards to the hop utilization aspect of the boil. Like, um, we purposely um, target certain pHs um, for different beers for that for the boil mark in order to either get a better utilization of those hops. So some beers. Um, I purposely want a bitier um, hop expression, a more bitterness. And so um, we're going at the high end at 5.4. Um, and other beers, we're going on the lower end at, say, 5.2 um, or even as low as 5.1 uh, for certain lager styles um, in order to, um, to not get as much utilization from those hops on purpose and um, you know, for some of those loggers and, and like get, get fullness. And so I think that there's, um, it's such a great thing to bring up that not a lot of people talk about that as such a, uh, you know, as you say, a, a tool in the toolkit where it's just, um, something that, yeah, just something that people don't talk about. And especially if you have like five IPAs on your board, it's a cool way to differentiate yep. between them aside from hop hop varieties like we all know the you know the difference between hop varieties but it's it's a cool way to say like this one's more bitter and and yet you as a brewer are taking this super technical approach to to doing it by just dealing with ph should we i think we've we've broken the seal on hops now <laughs> and we should and we should just you know segue right into that shuffle some more paper Evan. exactly <laughs> oh dude by the way i was checking phs just so that we're clear and um i'm in vinny's range uh i you know on accident i couldn't be more proud of myself um that i <laughs> yeah i i didn't realize this uh this whole thing that you were talking about um but yeah we're below that four six point on on these beers but um, but I also like, and to Kelsey's point, we've had beers that are reaching that four seven spot, and you know, when it when it comes to a beer that say is finishing really low um, for a finishing gravity, you know, we're talking about there's so many ways to balance something out, and so for some of our beers that have finished pretty low at like say one eight or one five, um, those higher pH beers have actually like worked out well for us because they come across a little fuller. Um, and that, you know, there's just so many ways to yeah balance the thing out. But you'll, you'll, and you'll tend to see uh, a higher pH with a heavier dry hop load. I don't remember what yep. the exact um, calculation is. Like, I know there is a calculation for every pound of hops you dry hop with, you gain blah, blah, blah pH. But, um, like it, it just makes sense that if you dry hop at five pounds per barrel, um, you are going to get a bigger rise in pH. And and I I just pulled up Pliny I, I the need younger. That calculation. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all out there. I don't know. Jamie probably knows it because you know 
a lot. Was so. that also uh, very based on the growing region? Like, I, I feel like uh, some of the Southern Hemisphere ops definitely uh, push those numbers up. Yeah, I, oh, I personally don't know that, if that's true or not. I mean, I've heard a general number, and again, I can't remember what it is that, you know, you get a 0.1 increase, whatever it is, a pH for every, you know, pound per barrel that you add. But, um, but like, I just pulled up Pliny the Younger, which is a pretty large dry hop, um, although we have to, I can't give it a pounds per barrel. What's, uh, what's Sam call it, uh, Jamie, the high density, uh, Oh, HDHC. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, sure. I'm, Sam from other half. Yeah. High density hop high charge. Density hop charge. That, yep. uh, Sam's got something there because now that you've got like, I know Kelsey, I've listened to your podcast, your craft brewing podcast with the, the uh the the liquid hops that you're adding and and that definitely is a great way to reduce hop creep but then you've got cryo and all this stuff and like suddenly we're all mixing it in and and now like two pounds per barrel doesn't really mean anything so i i think sam's got something there but but as i as i look at and that's how we we deal with younger you know which i think on paper is five or six pounds per barrel but there's a lot of cryo and this and that's 2.36 pH is what it's, is what it was at, you know, yesterday. As I look at these numbers from what's in the fermenter now. So, um, it's, that's pretty low. It's probably the lowest we've ever two? had it. What's that? Uh, I'm sorry. Two gravity, point? gravity is 2.36. Uh, okay, okay. pH is 4.51. So we're, we're getting <laughs> close, but we're not like, like it's, it, it 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 it's still you know like reasonable and 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 there's 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 ways to mitigate some of this flavor profile that comes out flabby and kind yeah. of slick on your your tongue which i i think all of you have had before yeah i mean that uh i th i mean when it comes to hazy beers i think that we have had a very um, I mean, similarly, we had a, a very particular process that we've used on those beers for, for getting ABV and uh, body and drinkability and everything. But when it comes to, man, when it comes to West Coast triple IPA, it's impossible. Like that is such a hard beer to balance well. I My, my philosophy on those... I don't know. It's interesting. Like, you know, um, I think the finishing gravity has a lot to do with, uh, Evan ran out of batteries. <laughs> no, I, I think the finishing gravity has a lot to do with, uh, the balance. Um, like if I'm making a West coast style pale ale, uh, India pale ale, a double IPA or a triple IPA, I kind of like them all to finish at the same gravity. Um, I, I think that there's something to the, the the bottom end that keeps the balance in check with all those hops that you're piling on. And it's not like, and, you know, Evan, uh, we were talking about this the other day. You were talking about how you were kind of like backing off on some, some dry hops in your, uh, in your pale ale. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I've kept those ratios very consistent across all these different styles. Uh, and I think that um, when you're, when you are dry hopping with sort of the same program um, at different gravities, 
the finish is kind of what is the glue that sort of binds it all together, you know, and it really uh, makes the drinking experience um, much more consistent between the different uh, alcohol ranges. Um, I don't know. Um, what do you guys think about that? I think what's interesting is that like this conversation about West Coast IPA is not necessarily about hops. You know, we're talking about, you know, things that like gravity is, is, you know, your mash temperature, it's your liquor to grist ratio, it's the, the, the grains that you pick and so on and so forth. Like, and I, and I do think that there's so much of that that go and I've always believed that about, you know, West Coast IPA in all the years in brewing this, that there's, you know, you 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 have great selection of hops, whether you do hop selection or you have to buy them on the spot market and you can give or take them, you know, but but there's so many other things. And this is a perfect example that you need to think so far outside the box when you're making this beer with a style of beer that's not directly related to hops. I mean, at the end of the day, I know, Jamie, you jokingly say like, hey, let's, you know, string on the hop stuff. But like really three quarters of this podcast is going to be not about hops because that's really what makes a great beer. You know, Vinny, everyone listening to it thinks that they want to learn about the hops. <laughs> and so this is just our way. Uh, it's like it's like when I, you know, grate carrots and put it into the tomato sauce with my kids with their pasta and they don't realize that they're eating more vegetables that way. You know, you just you, you got to give the kids their vegetables. Uh, yeah. Even if even if they don't realize that they want it there, um, you're a genius, Jamie. Uh, this is what we try to do here. It's what we try to do, Evan. Uh, Evan, do you have do you have sound back? So, Jamie, uh, the question you were asking before my headphones went out uh, was what? Well, we were still talking about uh, you know finishing gravity on on these beers. Kelsey was saying that he ties in finishing gravity across like no matter what the ultimate abv of, is of the beer you know he's hitting a consistent finishing gravity across those correct me if i'm wrong kelsey i don't want to be misrepresenting you on well, this Well, i mean i i, I don't want to say like we nail the 2.5 like every time but you know it's it's kind of in a range you know it's somewhere between two and 2.5 but the target is usually you know right around that 2.5 area and that you know that's that like i said it's it's our west coast ipa you know and you know that could be six and a half percent that could be seven and a half percent um but we also shoot for that same finish you know in a double ipa um and you know in a triple ipa which we we don't make those often but you know we make one one per year we try and line it up around the time that everybody else is making them which is usually when younger is going to drop um and uh you know and that kind of translates everyone's going to make their triple um, ipa when younger is going to come out huh i could make our season. triple ipa uh or sorry a west coast if i made a west coast triple in the middle of the summer uh no one would care at all but if you tie it with Pliny the Younger, which is still like the most sought after beer uh, ever, it's it's incredible. Like everyone wants to do their side by sides with with Pliny the Younger, and it's like um, I love doing it because it's um, such a challenging fermentation um, where you are trying to make this dry very i mean it's a golden barley wine is it like this this beer that you're making uh 
but then you're trying to make it dry with a fresh hop expression. And so it's, it's kind of an impossible feat. And so I think it's a, it's a really like, um, it's a good challenge that I like getting after is like every, uh, every once in a while, just trying to do that West coast triple. You know, we, we do make a little bit of younger in Santa Rosa, but like 95% of the younger is made in Windsor now. And it now a hundred percent of it goes through the open top fermenters in 2022 was the first time that we were a hundred percent. I think previous years, it was maybe that's awesome. Yeah. You know, 80% open top 70% year before. And now we're like, we're sold because of the fermentation character, the yeast health, the drop in pH that we get compared to a closed top. But the other thing we see with these high alcohol beers is you are, you're kind of blowing off those, those fusel alcohols as well in the wide shallow vessel that are a one-to-one ratio. You know, I, I can't pontificate on open top fermenters like, like Eric Toft can, but go back and find <laughs> the Eric Toft podcast. Cause that was like one of the best, it was incredible brewing podcast there is. Yeah. It's just a master class in, in OTFs, but like, but there, there is something there. And now we've, we've just bought into this idea of, of we need to brew high alcohol beers and we, you know, we're not a, you know, a pastry stout, blah, 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 kind of brewery, but you know, like our Imperial Porter, we run through the open tops and anything we run through the open, anything high alcohol, we want to run through open tops. And, and, and we see that with younger as, as well. And it's just a, a flavor thing. And sometimes you can't scientifically put your finger on it. You just say, yeah, it's better that way and just accept it. It's, it's, it's good. I think sometimes as brewers, we're too scientific and we overthink it. Like just go and look at the bucket that's blowing out of your fermenter and just be like, that's magic. That's, that's yeah. fermentation happening. I, it's, it's really I cool. love your passion for this Vinny. And it's, it's totally real in case anyone is wondering, like the, you know, every time I go to the brewery in Windsor, the first thing we like, you, you will route our walk back from the brew house so that we'll walk past the open tops just so we have an excuse to go up the spiral staircase <laughs> yeah. and go look at them. And, uh, but even last week, like you sent me a video, you know, via yeah. text of younger fermenting just because it had this huge volume of like yeah. that yeast was, was coming out. So yeah. like, it was just, it was amazing how, how fast it was coming off the top <laughs> of that fermenter. Um, and the enthusiasm is actually, you know, I mean, it's 100% real. None of this is fake. <laughs> Having said that, let's talk about hops because that's what people really do want to listen to on this. Let's talk about building a, you know, a hop bill. I yeah. feel like this is the conversation every time you talk to an IPA brewer. Um, I So I'm totally cutting you off, Jamie. Forgive me. But... I feel like the three of us have been in this situation enough times, you know, Vinny and Kelsey, where a brewer or home brewer comes up to you and they're just like, hey, so uh, I really like this. What hops did you use in that? And you tell them, um, you can even tell them the exact amounts. You can tell them the blend. You can say, you know, uh, whatever you did. And they really feel like you gave them the keys to the castle. Um, and instead, uh, 
just like I mean, just like all these other things that we've been talking about today, it's a matter of preference, right? It's a matter of preference on what Vinny does and what Kelsey does and what I do in regards to the body, the beer, the bitterness of the beer, um, and every little aspect of these decisions that we're making in order to make the beer that we want to drink. Um, and the hop expression is another one of those things. Why do we use the specific hops that we use? Because of the way that I personally like it to smell. That bouquet is what I like. Is what I'm after. That hot bouquet, and so it's like, um, it's just such an interesting sort of question of like, all right, well, do you like Parmesan or do you like uh, Brie? Do you like you know? You just go through all of the. I mean, oh man, if you have that Jasper Hill um harbison by the way um you cut off the top and it's literally like a cheese dip oh my god let that same thing sit out all day um to really come up to room temperature i digress anyway um hops Vinny, that that reminds me at, our, at the brewer's retreat in may we do have janet fletcher the author of cheese and beer the book cheese and beer yep. who will be doing a seminar on pairing beer and cheese and i am really really excited about that because I am fanatical about both of those things. I was, you know, it's funny. Um, it's funny you bring this up because I was just thinking about this today, and I was like, "Oh, I should text Jamie this." So one of our two farmers we work with is a local goat farmer from Petaluma, Asadania cheese, but they make a hard goat cheese like Parmesan um, to tie in Evan's conversation there, and it's really cool. So like when you are over at our house for the uh, dinner with the Belgians for the wild friendship event, like that pasta dish we did, we would have used Asadania um, hard goat cheese. And it's a really unique way. And I was thinking like, it would be cool for Janet to, um, to maybe use that because it's a awesome, awesome cheese. And it ties in to what we do and, you know, them getting grain from us and spent yeast, spent hops. And, and it's true. Goats eat anything. Cows won't eat hops. <laughs> Goats will. Goats will eat anything. Yeah. All right, that um, sounds so, great. Let's let's yeah. definitely talk more about that. Yeah. And we'll get some of that cheese over to Janet. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, yeah, what is it? A, a can, a boot. You know, you always like see these like uh cartoons where the goat is literally eating a boot. <laughs> <laughs> but we all digress. All right, let's digress. talk hops. We are, <laughs> we are, uh, we've been talking for a while now and uh, and it's getting fun. So you right. You know, when we when we talk about hops, we're also not talking about it in a in a singular way because, you know, every all of you use hops in a multifaceted kind of way, um, and different beers are employing hops in different ways. Uh, you know, of course, Kelsey, you've you know won in New Zealand IPA using uh, more thiol focused New Zealand hops. Uh, within West Coast IPA, we see this very broad range. Even you, Vinny, are using I saw you use Nectaron and the new Younger. Yep. Uh, you know, and so even you know. We not resting on laurels again trying to figure out how some of these new things work into and how you can build different expressions so you know maybe we'll just start you know do you have some broader shorthand in how you think about some of these specific hops and the kinds of beer that they make and those things that you will use together and some of those things that don't work well together so that they build you know some kind of you know, maybe more consistent lanes for things to, you know, to travel in. Um, Evan, you talk a lot. Why don't you, why don't you start that one off? <laughs> Evan, you talk a lot. Um, you're so proud of yourself. That's such a good line. Um, yeah. 
You know, I kind of go back a little bit to what I said earlier, where, you know, we're in this really neat space of sorts as, um, as brewers, uh, but then for our specific brewery, like, we come out, we don't have any uh, flagships on, on purpose. Um, um, we're a small brewery, so we, you know, are able to do that. We have two breweries, and between the two, uh, we make a total of about 4,000 barrels a year, um, and I think that might be actually a little generous. Um, and so every week we're coming out with three to four new beers a week and that means that we have the the option we have the um the ability to come out with uh new hop expressions on a weekly basis and so what does that sure, mean but, i mean but that kind of frequency means a lot of pressure because you got to keep making new things yeah and that means like a constant focus on innovation what does that yeah. innovative process look like for you well, I think it's exciting, um, at least for me. I, I hope it's exciting for the customer. I don't, uh, I don't know how that looks, but I, I love continuing to try to figure out, you know, this sort of perfect hop blend in my in my own mind. And um, it's the most messed up thing, Jamie, every year <laughs> because. You get really excited about a certain hop blend. You get certain excited about a certain hop, and then the next crop year comes along, and you go to that. You go to that. Um, you go to the table. You um, you go through selection, or you get pellets sent to you. I'm a pellet selector myself. That's uh, that's my personal thing. I I want the finished goods. Um, I think that that's the way to select. Um, but you go through all of these different things on a yearly basis, you get locked in on certain um, varietals and it all changes the next year, the next time that the new crop year comes along where maybe your citra is hitting a little bit more like mosaic. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, like this lot of citra that we just got in from our, from our 2022 harvest is much richer than what we've dealt with in the past, uh, where um, it checks a lot of the boxes and it doesn't quite hit the citrus mango um, sort of parts that I'm 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 used to, and instead um, it's getting more rich. It's it's a richer, deeper cannabis kind of character to it, um, with even like a small garlic onion hit, but that ends up blowing off in the beer. Um, itself, but long story short is that um, there's no perfect hop combo because we're dealing with a, um, a it's we're an all dealing with a complete it's, a, it's an agricultural <laughs> product. I was literally exactly what I was about to say, Vinny. Is it yeah. an agricultural product that we're yeah. all dealing with here that um, you're doing a collaboration with a brewery and they're like, hey, what kind of hop combo do you want to use? And I, I want to either A, I want to go visit them or B, I want them to send me uh, like a sample of their hops or something because figuring out what that should look like is really impossible. Um, and then as we all know- Impossible with, without that direct sensory input yeah. of what those actual hops that they're talking about, the perfect, the sample of that thing is actually smelling like. 
Yeah, like I think that there's this funny connection between the grower, the brewer, and the customer, where um, the grower is trying to make the, the thing that the brewer wants, the brewer is trying to make the thing that the customer wants. Um, we smell these hops um, outside of the beer through a rub, and there's some hops that absolutely smell incredible outside of the beer, and my example is always Chinook. Chinook is one of my favorite hops in the world to rub and smell and I think it's incredible. But the moment I put it in the beer, it doesn't do the thing that I thought it was going to do. And so there is this correlation that is missing um, that even though you do a good rub on a, on a hop, doesn't necessarily mean it's a good hop. Like you actually have to put it in the beer um, to find out in the end if it's worth a damn or not. And I think that that's one of the hardest conversations to have with some of these hop farmers as well. You did it like you did a fantastic job. This smells delicious, but I couldn't tell you why it ended up being extremely lackluster and not doing much in this beer. Sorry, but that's I, my think, rant. I think that kind of goes <laughs> towards to the uh, point that like, at least for us, when Natalie and I do selection, that we're doing selection to like not get some Defects. crazy off flavor. Yeah. Sure. We're being very like defensive about it. And, and we're negative we're, selection versus positive. Exactly. Selection. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. I don't want a big OG bomb, onion, garlic bomb. Right. Um, you know, oh, this centennial just has this really weird, okay, it's off the table. So, and I, and I think like, cause if you think about selection, like you might, a, a farmer might have 20, 25 bales for that lot. And you're looking at merely a one pound cut out of however many yes. pounds it is. Like that's a, those are, those are like worse than baseball percentages, and, yes. um, and, and so I, I, from, that's just how I look at selection. It's like, okay, this is at least putting me in the ballpark. It's the same thing going back to like hop creep. You know, we've, we've done a lot of work on seeds on hop seeds. And if, you know, if you've ever been to Yakima or if you Google, you know, Yakima hop farms and see those giant piles of hops, there's no way that that, that that pile of hops is homogenized and that the seed content is like perfectly homogenous between that there's going to be pockets of that pile of hops that have more seeds than not if that farm has seeds and and that's going to trigger more hop creep and and that's one reason why we do see more hop creep i think because it's just not a homogenous pile and 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 i think the flavor can be the same you can you can put it into the same bucket I love that. Kelsey, let's talk about your, what does what your creative process look like when it comes to building hop blends in your, your West Coast IPAs? Whether it's a collab or not, um, I usually try to find like some sort of a, I don't know, it's like, you know, if you're writing a song, you're trying to think about like the, the sort of ride that you're going to take through, um, through the experience. And so... I could go like knowing how my hops express, you know, kind of like getting beyond what Evan was talking about. Like you've gone through the selection process, you've brewed with these hops, you know what they do. Um, 
trying to bring things into a focus where it's like maybe there's a counterpoint and then there's some sort of a you know um like big burst of of uh character and you know to put that more into like actual characteristics you know i might want to bring in like something that has some like you know rich cannabis danky you know kind of quality um that is uh also um going along with something that's like a big bright you know tangerine um and trying to create some sort of a just layers of contrast um, or like going very harmonious, you know, it's like these hops all kind of express within the citrusy zone, but they're different enough that, you know, I want to put this one up top and then these, you know, these two underneath it to really try and like show you this really big expression of, of citrus, you know, and really it depends on what we're working with. Um, you know, if, uh, if I'm trying to get, you know, that, that deep diesel note, I know I can pull that out of my nectar on that I've got in the cold box right now, you know, and that might be a really nice thing to put underneath, um, something that's got like some really rich, uh, you know, um, orangey character, the Amarillo that we've got, um, right now that we're working with does have that kind of old school Amarillo vibe where it's, you know, big, uh, orange notes, but also has that rich resin, um, kind of undertone, uh, and, you know, uh, it's, it's all a thought process about, you know, trying to create something that is going to work together. And, um, you know, I, I try and put the stone fruity hops together to, to do that in a way and the citrusy hops together. And, and then usually there's some element of, of, uh, of a counterpoint note that, you know, creates more interest. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of thinking along the lines of, a you know, complicated, uh, not, not complicated per se, but like a thoughtful execution of, uh, culinary, you know, it's, it's just creating flavors that work together and like complementary flavors. Yeah. And it's really easy to look, you know, you know, and you can thumb through a book of, of hop descriptors and, and kind of get a baseline. And, and I do that still, like if I'm, working with a hop or somebody proposes a hop for a collab that we haven't really messed around with before. I'm like, well, what's it supposed to be like? And it's like, okay, well, you know, that stone free thing's probably not going to work with this grass bomb. You know, it's just, so let's not use uh, galaxy in that beer. Cause I, I know how, how much grass I'm going to get off of that. Or if, uh, if, if I can pull enough passion fruit out of the galaxy, then maybe it's just a, you know, one bag goes into the dry hop out of six or, or however many we're going to use. So, I mean, you know, a lot of theoretical uh, ideas here, um, but that's, that's generally my approach is to just kind of think about how things are going to work together and create, you know, you know, kind of the, the palette of colors that, that makes the beer. I, I love that you use musical metaphors in this because that's something I traffic in frequently. But I'm curious how you reinforce the ideas of what these things are. Because, again, as Evan has said, you know, these are agricultural products and these change year to year. Understanding what that is that you have in your cold box and exactly how it expresses. You know, are you then opening bags, you know, each time you, 
you know, you get this election back or, you know, you know, I, I mean, how do you how do you reinforce that? Because there is there's a pretty broad range within a single variety based on where it's what state it was grown in, what the farm was that grew it, of what it could actually be. And so understanding what you have and what you are actually working with versus just the idea of what that could or should be, you know, th th there's a there's a gap there, but you you navigate that really well. Well, I mean, and some of it is theory, right? I mean, because similar to Evan, like we're a very specialty beer focused brewery. We don't have, you know, we have two beers that we make every three weeks. And then everything else that we make is either kind of like, a, you know, occasionally returns or it's a one-off or it's something that is, you know, just, uh, you know, one and done. And, uh, by doing that and using our hops that we have, to, you know, at our disposal, whether we selected them or we've spot bought them, I mean, we learn on the fly. And so, you know, we're putting theory into process and then what we get out of that beer might not be what our expectation was. But now we know, you know, and then, um, you know, and that's tasting along the process because a lot of times early dry hop might be related um up and then we can kind of taste that and and pull out of that what we got you know within 24 hours because really that uptake is quick um and then sometimes it you know when we're adding in later dry hops where it might be a blend of hops i mean sure we're not going to learn as much but we can we can say like we can go back to the pellet and smell it and know at least somewhere where that came from um because i mean while it's not never like a one-to-one, -one, there's always volatiles that just go away. There's still something that you can pull from the rub in retrospect and draw some lines to what where that was. And so, but yeah, I mean, kind of like circle back on it. it. It is theory applying it and then learning and moving on. And there are a lot of times when, you know, I might have a small volume of hops, uh, a variety contracted, um, with the expectation that it's going to do X, Y, or Z, and then doesn't do that. And, you know, for me, that sucks, but like, I may not end up using very much of what I contracted because I didn't get the results that I was expecting. And that's, you know, that's just a cost of the business that we're in um, to decide to not use those hops because they just didn't work. Obviously we go back to the supplier and tell them that like this lot didn't perform to our expectation, can we please try something else? And 99% of the time, the vendor is going to say, sure, let's, let's try this one instead. Um, yeah. so we do, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very learning as we go, um, through the, uh, new crop here, new, new supply. And, and I just wanted to add that, like, it's a, the, everything you just said is the perfect reason why every brewery should have on their, you know, right next to their hop scale, a grinder to grind pellets. Um, we've, yep, look at that. Evan's holding it up is where you can't see it because we're on a podcast, but like, you know, that, it's, hop, that it's for hops, I swear. <laughs> that, this that one is for hops. I, I, you have a different one what, for home. The one at home's a little different, pal. <laughs> but yeah, that that grinder can come in handy to just grind a you know a small handful, and it and it makes for really really good education for brewer brewery owner and their their team. 
So, and there, and there's, and then, I mean, you know, beyond that, there's so many techniques that go in, you know, something that I keyed on that Kelsey mentioned was like potentially dumping, you know, the hops, dumping the cone after 24 hours. I mean, that's, that's something in general that I think probably all of us agree on that you need to dump the cone within a day to three days, depending on what you're making and how you're doing it. I, I know for us at Russian river, as long as we've been doing that, this making, you know, IPAs, West coast IPAs, like that practice of dumping the cone, whether it's on our five barrel pilot brewery or on our 75 barrel production brewery, like that's something we're, we're religious about. You're saying, uh, after dry hop or you're saying after knockout, uh, so both. we we dump the cone after knockout at 24 hours, roughly somewhere yep. in there. But then after dry hop, we're dumping the cone 24 to 72 hours, so one to three days, depending what it is. Maybe we're experimenting, yep. but yeah, I, I think that's because that's also a way to mitigate hop creep. The longer you leave that green matter in the tank, the more you're just going to get those enzymes continually to to ferment. Yeah, we do both for sure. I mean, one um, that twelve-hour mark um, and that twenty-four-hour mark from knockout is for like mercaptan purposes. But then, like um, that after dry hop mark, I mean, we are getting rid of any hops that settle to the bottom of the tank every day. Um, we don't. I mean, we don't bubble up tanks. We don't research tanks. Like we just throw them in through the top and um, allow them to slowly settle out. Um, but it's uh, it's so interesting what a simple process uh, theoretically this dry hopping thing is, um, and how different um, every single brewer does it. Where um, I don't know we're. When you smell those hops coming out of the bottom of the cone and they smell as good as they do still after traveling through your beer, there's a certain amount of like, ah, man, am I getting what I should be getting out of this beer? And I think that that's a, a, that's a hard, I don't know, it's a hard thing to put into the drain, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I was having technical difficulties uh, while you guys were talking about dumping the cone. Um, and some of the Mercaptan discussion. Uh, but, you know, for us, we definitely do that. Like um, getting any yeast that hits the bottom of the tank out as quickly as possible is something that we do. Um, we've definitely, in our early days, experienced some of those, uh, you know, Mercaptan slash what I think is kind of an acid aldehyde. You know, it's kind of like pumpkin guts. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, overripe cantaloupe type of, of uh, flavor um we we stopped encountering that when we kept the pressure on our tanks throughout the ride of fermentation uh basically open um we keep our blow off intact for uh the entire run effectively um and then we're removing yeast you know every day um you know and i feel like that makes for a really clean beer um uh, but, uh, different from what you just said, Evan, I mean, and you know, this about our brewery, um, our, our tanks at, at my brewery, we've, we've got really high ceilings. Um, and, uh, I designed it, you know, kind of putting the tasting room 
ahead of the brewery in some respects, but, um, you know, our fermenters are all a three to one aspect ratio. So they're tall. Um, and I feel like we get a pretty lackluster op expression, uh, if we aren't, uh, doing some sort of a post dry hop, uh, you know, resuspension and we do recirculate our tanks and even our new tanks have a tangential that port in the upper body designed specifically for recirculating hops. And, you know, when we fire up the pump and get that thing going on those tanks, you can actually hear the vortex. I mean, it's pretty intense. Uh, and so I, you know, I feel like that's, that's a positive contributor to what we do, but you know, the recipe formulation that goes into it because we're whipping up hops, like the polyphenols that we're getting in there and, uh, you know, pop burn that might come along with it requires, you know, extra time and, you know, the amount of biofine that we use is specific to that process. And so, yeah, you know, there's just, there's a lot that comes with it and, you know, every brewery has their own, you know, intricacies with how their, uh, how their equipment differs and just kind of learning how to deal with it. Um, and you know, it's like, I can have your beer where you've literally just dropped the hops in the top. And that's it. <laughs> you get this rad aroma. And I'm like, well, if I do that, yeah, uh, I'm, it, it's, it's not going to work, you know? So, but we do do this. There's this interesting thing. That Did we he just call up... you lazy, Evan? <laughs> I think he just uh, called you lazy. Well, you know, there's certain ways to say lazy. And I think Kelsey just said it. Um, but <laughs> of course I'm joking, but, um, one of the things that I feel like we've learned that is super uh, fun to throw out on this podcast is that there's this hop lily pad that can form on the top of the tank after you dry hop, right? Um, some people call it the hop float or the boat or I don't know. I've heard all sorts of different terms for how these hops float on the top of the um, the tank. Um, we've come up with this uh, this very simple process that um i'm that i'm excited about where we literally will dry hop at the end of a day um into the tank and then we leave the blow off open the next the very next morning after we feel like those hops have um sort of gotten wet um we're then putting about 15 pounds of pressure on the tank uh, closing it up, putting 15 pounds of pressure. We let it sit for one hour and then we open it back up to the blow off. And as a final check, we'll go up to the very top of the tank and just do a quick peek in the, in the dry hop port and to see if those hops have been pushed in. And, um, every once in a while we're wrong, but 99% of the time, uh, those, all those hops have been pushed in and there's this crazy difference between, the sample that we were able to pull before that moment and then the sample that we're able to pull after that moment to where we've literally pushed those hops into the into the beer and um i think that that's been uh, a super easy non uh, like low impact uh thing on the beer where we don't have to agitate it we don't have to mess around with say head retention or you know some of these other aspects and instead it's just like just, just just push it in you know Vinny, how's that look on the russian oversight i know we've talked about oh, how you yeah. uh 
you you know, circulate through those tanks in order to to you know improve extraction of the hops uh, you know but it's been a couple of years since we had that conversation yeah we so we've i briefly mentioned it earlier we've got a port on the back of all of our tanks that we have this movable portable tank mixer so it's a ball valve on the cone of the tank that we can connect to and then sanitize the rod and at the end is a flexible stainless steel impeller that you push in and then you plug it in turn it on and it can mix our our tanks so we literally have two tank mixers in windsor that circulate through all the brewery or all the tanks and and so we we have this ability to get hop creep started sooner to extract have better extraction kind of like kelsey was saying with his tanks where he can mix with a pump it's pretty much the same thing we just have this portable pump so i think it goes back to whoever was saying that we're all doing it a little bit different um we we find this works for us um i will you know i i will say that like I personally like the flavor profile better on these beers. We're getting a more intense, you know, hop quality to the beer, but I, I don't think that makes it right or wrong. I, I just think that, you know, each of us are doing things a little bit different and it goes back to what I was saying earlier that like so much of making West coast IPAs process and it's less about, you know, ingredient. Yes. Okay. We've gone to lighter malt bills and so on and so forth, but like process is such an important part here. And, and so, you know, when I, when I look at this, like I'm just seeing process, 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 that's, that, that's so much of what we're looking at. And at our level, you know, making 40,000 barrels or wherever, 45,000 barrels, wherever we're at, like there's so much consistency that we're playing with because at the end of the day, Pliny the Elder and Blind Pig are like 75, 70% of our production. So, I mean, you empty a tank, what goes in there? That's Pliny again. What goes into Fermenter 6? That's Blind Pig. It does make life easy, but it also is a, is a challenge for consistency. And so we're looking for processes that are easy to replicate and um yeah it you know it again i just say process these are these are process driven beers you know as most beers are belgian beers lager beers but i i think so often ipas get looked at as like oh just you know add the hops and it's going to do its thing <laughs> that's that's not that's not how it is Sure, sure. Kelsey, we talked about using, uh, you know, Salvo and this kind of flowable hop product and dry hopping, you know, over, you know, over the last year, we've now got new other products like Spectrum that are really built around dry hopping itself. Um, you know, has your process evolved in any way using some of the other modern hop products that are now available, um, you know, for this kind of thing? Uh, not really. Uh, um, I mean, we have used Salvo uh, with limited success. We've only used a couple different varieties, um, and really for a lack of not having uh, incognito equivalent oh, available. Did I did I say Salvo? I meant in, yeah, incognito. But, but I mean, like to you know to bridge off what you said, we have used Salvo for that reason. Like there are certain varieties that uh, we haven't been able to. Um, to get in an incognito form that we were able to get um 
as a, a salvo, and we tried that. But you're using some hot hot side intentional hot side advanced hot products, but you're and using them on the whole the cold side. I guess that's the broader piece there. Yeah, that that's kind of turned into you know something of a of a house flavor uh, for us with a lot of our beers, and uh, and I, I feel like you know that's that's a defining characteristic of some of our our IPAs, whether they're you know West Coast or Hazy or even some of our hoppy lagers are very driven um, by some of those uh, those products. Um, I think there's a, a you know concentrated richness um, that you know we're able to um, to get uh, by using those. Um, and yeah, I mean it's funny. Like I still stand by using uh, incognito on the cold side, even though it wasn't designed to do that. I've used spectrum which is designed to use on the cold side and right, i don't think right. that in my experience spectrum is uh is better than incognito the way that we're using it um and you know even like at cbc last year i went up and tried to talk to several people at the Haas booth and i don't know it was just kind of a I felt dismissed <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying, trying to say like, Hey, this is how I'm using incognito and I'm having great results. And I, I just feel like I got, you know, kind of handed around a little bit. Um, and, and it's, it's just kind of interesting that they, you know, and nothing against Haas, like, um, you know, obviously uh, innovative company that's that made incognito, but like, I think the way we're using it is really great. Like I, I love the results. So I, I you know, I'm, I, I I would assume they would want to get behind like that. So uh. it was a funny one when I was out in uh, in Atlanta in December, having brunch with a brewer friend uh, who works for a, a large brewery out in, in Georgia, and uh, you know he, we were talking about what's next. And he's like, you know, I hear you know that they're using these hot side flowable hot products on the cold side. And, uh, you know, I could, you know, that, that's a new trend. And like, you know, I think you're right. And you should listen to this podcast episode with Kelsey, uh, to, to hear they, more about that. And, uh, they're using this, <laughs> but that's the but next you know, trend. Kelsey, that's, that's what makes like innovation, innovation. I, I remember at blind pig in the mid nineties, like dry hopping at a pound per barrel. And that was, that was innovative back then. And, and this is, this is what takes us to the next level and so it's it's pretty cool i mean i'm i I just tasted through a whole slew of beers through our podcast here and the i don't know what the combination is in the standard hop food at seven and a half percent alcohol ddh you know west coast but that's still like the aroma is just it's so captivating it's so beautiful so it's amazing so good all right. Well, let's try to tie a bow on this. Uh, you know, if you're to, to look at your, <laughs> we're not eight hours in. We have we have eight more hours, people. <laughs> I, I still got you know some plenty left. <laughs> yeah. Let's... let's see. I'm drinking the the coast with the most currently, and man, uh, Kelsey, this thing is drinking really nice. Um, if Citra Citronca Incognito. Mosaic Cryo Simcoe, like this is just classic blend of hops, of course, with the Holy Trinity, as I like to call it. Um, but but then done uh, via new hop products, um, 
I it's a it's a it's a cool nod to like the Holy Trinity, but then also to this um, new school Kelsey McNair way of doing it his own way, which I think is like um, pretty damn cool. Thanks. I mean, it, it smells have, delicious. I don't have any Kelsey beers here. They didn't arrive today, unfortunately. Oh, refund from FedEx I'm, because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm crushed. I will. In- I'll enjoy those this weekend, I'm sure. That's funny, yeah, that's funny Jamie, shipping. because we had the same thing earlier with Evan, and I got <laughs> on, I was texting when I was brewing today with our shipping guy. I'm like, call FedEx, see what's going on. And we somehow like strong arm the FedEx guy to deliver to Green Cheek today. Oh man, I think uh, yeah. Vinny called on his end, and then we called on our end, and then, and then like no bullshit, the guy showed up and like ten minutes later, and we're like. It was incredible. Don't uh, you know so we have a craft beer and brewing podcast to do here with these beers? <laughs> I don't think you understand the importance of this podcast, sir. <laughs> I appreciate all of that. Speaking of that reminds me. So, so Vinny, nectar on in this this planet of the younger. Um, you know, take making a statement like that and using a new New Zealand or uh, uh, hop in that kind of context is kind of a bold move in this thing that uh, the people have big expectations about Love people it. that you know fly to Santa Rosa and contribute you know 5 to 6 million dollars to the local Santa Rosa economy about you will do what? a fantastic job of uh, of sharing that information of the economic yeah. impact out there because craft beer obviously and clearly is a major economic uh, impactor you know in economies around the country uh, yeah. but in particular that um, you know there's a lot of expectations around that talk to me talk, let's just talk a little yeah. bit about uh, you know how you work in some of these new expressions within the expectations that he- exist for this kind of uh, now classic Yeah. So, uh, you know, Simcoe and Amarillo are always the backbone on it, talking about the hops, Um, you know, but when you talk about changes we've made for younger, I think it happened last year was we did incorporate a pretty good amount of Pilsner malt into it, Gambrinus pills, you know, that super light color. I think Evan and Kelsey would agree, like super, like almost doesn't even get in the way as, as Evan was saying earlier, just let the hops come through. So there is, you know, it's a mix of now our silo two row and that, um, Gambrinus pills, but something like Nectron is something we were messing around with on our five barrel pilot brewery. And, and, and it just, finally, you just hit a point that is like, okay, I feel comfortable having it become a part of the recipe for something like Pliny the Younger that is like super iconic and that people have expectations of. But I also think that it goes back to what Natalie and I often talk about between ourselves that like you can't, when we talked about it earlier, you can't rest on your laurels, but you also like should almost be like someone wants to have your lunch in that you need to be one step ahead of, and, and it's, it's, it's in a competitive nature. I mean that in like the most friendly, you know, comment that, but someone wants to eat your lunch. Someone wants to be the next younger. And like, so we want to always try to be better and don't ever think that what you're doing is good enough. And, and I do think that that's to some degree why, um, 
blind pig, elder, younger, why they have kind of stayed somewhat relevant when all these young pups like these guys are nipping at our tails, like making awesome <laughs> beer. And but even like and I'll and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Matt into this because how can you not talk about West Coast IPA and not talk about Matt Brennelson? But like literally the, it was uh, yes. No, go ahead. Like but No, can, I mean I was gonna sing, I was gonna say the Matt's same praises, thing. But at the at the invitational last year I had the hopnosis and it was just like rocked my world and was like, oh my God, this is the best like new beer I've had in a long time. And they're doing it on scale. And and so and I and Matt and I are really close friends and and we talk about this, we've talked about this often that like it's young brewers like Evan and Kelsey and you know like Ghost Town and in, in Oakland that are that are continuing to inspire us and keep us kind of young in a in a sense. And so we take that same approach with with younger, you know, that we we try things and we make little, but it, they're very subtle and slow and methodical, and because we do honor our consumer and that they do expect something, but. You know, I I think the fact that there's still a line of people outside our brewery, cross our fingers, hopefully it happens this year again, that because we are trying to do better and, and we can learn from stuff like Kelsey's talking about with using hot side products on the cold side and, and that sort of thing. And and it and it does it it totally reminds me of Blind Pig nineteen ninety-four, you know pound per barrel dry hop which now is pedestrian but at the time it was or two pounds i think was the double ipa then but still like that was that was something revolutionary and now it's it's not but there's always something to be learned i mean i remember at, I, w I worked at bj's uh, as my first brewing job in like 2006 and I think we did half a pound per barrel or something like that in the IPA or the pale. And it was like, whoa, man, this is hoppy. And it was such a, it was such a big deal for all of us. Like, like tasting that fresh, that fresh beer whenever, whenever it was finally in the bright, but um, that's kind of how things go, right? Like we all went up each other in a way that is lovingly delicious and that's kind of okay this beautiful friendly competition to to make better and better and better beer and well, bringing these to, different approaches in it's hard to get mad at somebody whenever you taste their beer and it's genuinely better than like what you made like when you do your side by side either whether it's blind or not and you just go you know what? I I know what I'm gonna pick, and uh, that's the fun part of this whole thing. And um, yeah, getting fresh versions of both of your beers today was um, such a treat. So, um, Vinny and Kelsey, thanks for sending those over. Those, uh, <laughs> yeah, really nice of you. Yeah, for sure. Robo's Last always. week, 
lest we let this go too far, I think this is a great place to bring it to a close. G&D Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. TNS hop oils give your beer all the hop intensity with none of the astringency. And Evan's going to report back on how those samples work out for him. AccuBrew gives brewers like you unprecedented insight into your fermentation process. ProBrew's Pro solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer. If you need a central source for fruit flavor, Old Orchard has you covered. SS BrewTech is taking technology they invented working with world-renowned industry veterans like Vinny and made them available to every craft brewer. Christian Hansen is bringing their knowledge to brewers with their smart bev range of frozen liquid yeast and fruit and freeze-dried bacteria. Um, if you are not a subscriber yet to Craft Beer and Brewing, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, become an all-access subscriber. Of course, on beerandbrewing.com, we have some great recipes from all three of you. Uh, we've got North Park's Sorta Mostly Dead West Coast IPA. We've got Green Cheeks It Just Works Cold IPA. And we've got a great recipe out there for subscribers of Russian River's Blind Pig Inaugural Ale, the old 1994 recipe for Blind Pig. Uh, if you want to see just how far... Uh, West Coast IPA has come in that time. Try bring yourself the 1994 edition of that beer, <laughs> and then uh, making a more otter, uh, modern iteration and trying with, with back no to back. Simcoe, no Amarillo, no Mosaic, <laughs> yes. no Citra. I can wait, keep wait, going. Sorry. Vinny, what uh, what hops were the uh, was in that original recipe? Chinook, Cascade. Centennial, but there was no Columbus yet, even there. Oh, wait, Columbus wasn't was it wasn't even a thing yet. No. Oh my God. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I the evolution of hops is absolutely incredible in my small brewing career, um, and it's wonderful talking to someone like yourself that's been doing this longer, to where it's just like, um, you know, because of you. I'm able to use Simcoe. Like there's 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 certain parts of this that uh, are so mind blowing and um, yeah, it, 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 I don't know. Never mind. I, I'm done. It's just Thank insanely you. cool. As I was gonna Thank say. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Vinny. Thanks. If you really want to pay tribute to Vinny, just start making a beer with Brewers Gold. Okay, that's that's all you have to do. <laughs> Let's leave that's it the- at that. <laughs> I love Brewers Gold. And uh, oh, CLS is, on is, is growing it for you, aren't they, Vinny? Uh, Wait, we uh, have a little we have a little project going with uh, Shelly and Eric and the crew at at CLS Farms with some Brewers Gold, and um, don't forget that twenty percent of Citra is Brewers Gold. Wait, uh, like an English Pale Ale? Like, what are you uh, what are you thinking with that Eng- or with that Brewers Gold? What kind of beer style? I can't tell you right now. Ah, come Sorry, on. Sorry, Evan. Okay, there are okay. some secrets left in the world. Amazing. Amazing. Anyway, thanks to all of you guys for joining me here on the podcast. I appreciate uh, uh, all of your thoughts on Brewing West Coast IPA and uh, you know sharing it out here with the audience. Cheers to all of you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, Jamie. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.